You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. Well, if you have your Bible or your favorite Bible app and want to turn to Matthew 18, uh, then we're going to be uh, picking up there uh, here in just a, a few minutes. So some of you know that uh, I, uh, in high school, I played football. That was my sport. That's what I did. And so there's one day, that during my junior year of, of my junior season, and so we're in a team meeting on Monday. And I, don't, I can't remember if this was before practice, after practice, but we're in a classroom there in the school. We're talking about debriefing. We had lost the game the day on Friday before. And so the coaches wanted to meet because they had some things they wanted to clear up. And one of the things that came up in that conversation with the players was that the defensive players, um, in fact, I remember this vividly, a guy named Dan Bertelson. I haven't seen or talked to Dan in 40-some years. I have no idea why I remember his name. But uh, Dan Burleson's a big guy. He ended up getting a football scholarship to play at the University of Wyoming. But he made this comment. He says, listen, some of us are up there, out there the entire game. We never come off the field. We need a break. Why can't you, put, you, know, bring, you know, substitute us now and then with some other people? And so the coach, the head coach, he says, well, who do you suggest I you know, re, you know, send to relieve you? And Dan says, why not DeBrodka? You know, looking over at me. And the coach, looking back at Dan, never looked at me. He says, DeBrodka couldn't have helped us. <clears throat> I didn't laugh then. <laughs> what was really weird is that they're having this conversation about me, and I'm sitting right there. You know, I'm, I'm just like just a few chairs over from Dan, and in front of the whole team, in front of the whole team, I said, basically, I have no value to offer to the team. And I was devastated. I mean, can you imagine that? I was embarrassed. I was humiliated um, uh, that he would say something like that. Ever some, anything like that ever happened to you? Someone said something that just embarrassed you in front of other people, and to the point, not just embarrassed you, felt silly, like it just humiliated you. I mean, yeah. words can be incredibly hurtful, can't they? Yeah. Now, I think we would all would realize that words aren't the only thing that can be hurtful to us. I mean, there's actually physical hurt. People can be physically abusive towards us. And some of us have experienced that. People can be emotionally hurtful towards us. The words they use, the things they say, they demean us, they put us down, they belittle us, they make us feel worthless. People can do that to us. People can financially hurt us. We, we trust them with investments. We know that people have trusted their life savings with individuals only to, be, to learn that they had been deceived and misled, and they ended up with nothing. Devastated them. They've been cheated and defrauded. People can betray us, can't they? People that are close to us, people we care about and love, and it can devastate us in multiple ways. There are quite a few ways someone can hurt us. In fact, I suspect if I ask the question here, who here has been deeply hurt by another person during the course of your life? I suspect every one of us would raise a hand. That's just the way it works. Now, what can happen to us when we have been profoundly hurt? I have a visual aid. So when we're profoundly hurt, someone does something to us and hurts us, and we have a response. One of the things that we can do is we can just stop it. We just learn to live with it. And that's just kind of how life is now. 
It's just part of us. We live with that hurt, and no matter where we go, it's there with us, and we just kind of carry that hurt with us. Maybe we just avoid that person if it's a particular individual, but that hurt's there. It just continues to be there with us. Well, if it goes on long enough, or if the hurt is even deep enough, that hurt can turn into anger and bitterness, can't it? And I can see the looks in your faces. You're all wondering, when's that going to pop, right? Not yet. (laughs) We become angry and we become bitter and we hold the grudge, right? We want revenge. We want something to happen to that person. We want them to pay for what they did. And I'm not going to pop, pull it up until it pops. But why is forgiveness so dangerous? Why is it so bad and hurtful? I think it's because if we're, we let it, it just becomes a part of us. It becomes this, we, we, we had it to tie a string around it, and we just carry it with us. It's always there with us. Never leaves us. It's a part of everything we do. Carrying it becomes normal. Anger and bitterness can become defining characteristics. People look at us and they're talking about us and say, you know, that anger, that bitterness, you know, well, yeah, that's just kind of the way they are. That's just kind of who they are. You see, as human beings, whenever somebody hurts us, whenever somebody does harm to us, it's normal for us to be angry. It's normal for us to actually sometimes become bitter and resentful. That's just what happens, and then we even seek revenge sometimes, really because that's the way of the world. Always has been. The fact of the matter is, though, as Christ followers, we're expected to live differently. <laughs> what a waste of good helium. <laughs> so we've got to remember that Jesus came into a world that was just like this. He came into a world that was governed by a law of retaliation. The idea was that if you help me, then I'll help you. Or if you hurt me, then I'll help hurt you. There was this cause-effect retaliation. Such behavior really is natural in the kingdom of this world. It really is. That's just the way humanity is. But in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, there's another basis for how we should relate to one another. Now, today's the last in our series on radical. Now, we start off looking at radical boldness, how to be bold with our faith, and we shouldn't hold back, and people should know about how our love for Jesus. And we talk about also radical pursuit of Jesus, just knowing that there's always more of him available to us than we currently have. Talk about radical generosity, that it's not just our money, but our time and our talent and things that, that God wants us to give away. Radical worship is not just singing. Worship is really everything we do. It's the entirety of our life is meant to be worship. And last week we talked about the idea of radical kindness. And today, if you haven't guessed already, we're talking about radical forgiveness. Now, our passage comes from Matthew chapter 18. Now, let me give you a little context and we set up this this, uh, few verses that we're going to read. There's this moment when Jesus is with his disciples, and Peter asks Jesus, he says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? All right. Now, Peter asks this question up to seven times, thinking he's doing good. Okay, because from what I understand, there's some question, but the general thought is that within the Torah, within the Old Testament law, 
three times. You're expected to forgive somebody up to three times. That was kind of where when it comes, comes from Amos chapter one. So he says up to seven times. He's like, dude, I'm doing double. I'm really good, aren't I? And so he's looking for affirmation from Jesus, but Jesus flips it on him, doesn't he? Because what is, those of you who are familiar with the story, how many times did Jesus say you're supposed to forgive? Seventy-seven times. Okay, so not seven, seventy-seven times. And then, and then Jesus, his next sentence is, the kingdom of heaven is like, which is code for, I'm going to start, I'm gonna, this is a story's coming. I'm telling you a parable. Now, a parable is a story that has a deeper meaning. So the story itself is interesting, but there's a meaning behind it that he wants you to grasp. And Jesus told parables a lot. On this parable, he starts off telling us that there was a king who wanted to collect money from all those who owed him money. So so individuals were brought to him to pay up their debt. One man, and again, as Jesus told the story, one man came in and owed the king in today's dollars, three and a half billion dollars. Okay? Now, it's a nonsensical amount. I mean, how does someone get in debt to three and a half billion dollars? Okay? So it's not, it's not a logical number. It was an obscenely just uh, exaggerated uh, number that was meant to make a point there. The point being that the man had a debt he could never repay, ever, ever. In fact, the, the number that's used there is a talent um, which, and he taught you kind of where you know, it was the equivalent of 200,000 work days for the average worker. So he would have to work for 200,000 days, which I forget how many years that is. It's a lot. Longer than a, a normal lifetime. So again, the number is nonsensical, an exaggeration to make a point. So then the story proceeds that the king, knowing that the man can't pay, he says to the, he says to the guards, he said, listen, take him, you know, grab him and his wife and his kids and everything he owns and sell it to repay the debt. At least I'll get that. Well, the man freaks out, as you can imagine, you know, panics and pleads for mercy to the king and the king, and it says, he uses this word, the king had pity on him. And the king, not only did he say, okay, I won't throw you in jail, the king actually said, I forgive you the entirety of your debt. I mean, can you imagine being in debt that much? Again, it's a nonsense number, but still, the idea is that you have this debt that you can never repay, and then all of a sudden, in just one word, it's gone. I'm sure he'd been carrying this debt and carrying this feeling and this need to, to, to you know, how am I going to do this? And yet, in one instance, that whole debt is gone. So the man who has just had his, this whole weight removed from him, and he's just been forgiven, he leaves the king, and it says that he immediately runs into another man, who owes him about $6,000. Again, that's not an insignificant amount of money, but $3.5 billion, right. He'd just been given, forgiven something that he had no way to pay back, and now he runs into somebody who owes him 6000 Well, the same thing kind of unfolds, where he says, hey, pay me up, and the, the second man says, I can't, and have, you know, have mercy, and wait, wait. And the first guy says, no, and he throws him into prison. And the people who observe this and they see this, and the word gets back to the king. And so the king calls this first guy back in. And that's where we pick up with our passage here in Matthew chapter 18, starting with verse 32. <clears throat> then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. 
Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Father, for all that you do um, in our lives. I thank you for this story. And Lord, as we unwrap it a little bit, I just ask that you would help me to communicate clearly. Holy Spirit, let us hear what we need to hear. Um, may you speak to us in only the ways you can. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I think it's important to point out here that Jesus is not talking to a large crowd. Okay, you know, sometimes when he's, you know, he's out in the side and there's, you know, we don't not always get numbers, but we know that thousands of people sometimes would follow him. Um, this was not one of those moments. This all started with Peter and the other disciples were in a room together, and it was Jesus is talking to his disciples. All right, Jesus is talking to people who attended church regularly. They tithed. They had consistent quiet times. He's talking to them. Okay. Now, I have no doubt that as they're listening to the story being told that they're overwhelmed with the king's generosity. I mean, really, he just forgave them? I mean, who does that kind of thing? And wow, that's just amazing. And I have a sense that the story was kept being told that they were shocked by the first man's cruelty towards the second man. You know, how could he do that? I mean, I imagine this is just playing out in their minds. And they probably cheered when the king throws the first man in jail to be punished. I mean, getting what he deserved, right? I mean, this is, this, is, this is the way the story should end. It's a great ending to the story, except the story wasn't over. <clears throat> I think Jesus looked directly in their faces, and he says, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I mean, that was one of those mic drop things. I mean, can you imagine that? Now, in case there's any uncertainty in your mind, this story is about the human race, okay? God is lavishly generous and entirely just, and we have accumulated a mountain of moral debt to him. It's about us. Now, while this story was told by Jesus more than 2,000 years ago, it speaks to us today just as loudly and clearly as it did back then. See, radical forgiveness begins with the recognition that we have been forgiven a debt we cannot repay. We don't owe God money. We owe him our lives. The sin that separated us from God was beyond our ability to repay. We couldn't fix it. We couldn't make it right. We couldn't do anything. We were lost and without hope. Nothing. And then God, in his mercy, looked down on us and he said, I have a way forward. I know how we can fix this. I will bridge the gap between us through the sacrifice of my son. And then God says to us, says, I will not hold you accountable. He says, I'll forgive you, and you will not have to pay for your sin with your life. You are forgiven. We have been forgiven a debt we cannot repay, each one of us. And I love the way Julia shared during worship is that sometimes we have a hard time accepting that. Sometimes we have a hard time believing that God could forgive us, that he loves us that much. But he does, and he has. He's forgiven each of us. It's an amazing thing. Each one of us is that first servant who owed money that he had no way of paying back, and yet God forgives us. 
We have been forgiven a debt that we cannot repay. Radical forgiveness also requires us to forgive others, no exceptions. Again, Jesus wasn't talking to a large crowd and speaking in generalities. And he wasn't saying, hey, you know, forgiving others is kind of a good idea. You know, the Mayo Clinic's done the study, and it shows that forgiving others is kind of good for your health. They have, and it is. It's it's amazing how common this is in in just psychology and the medical field about the, the effect of forgiveness, the positive effect of forgiveness on us. But again, that's not what Jesus is saying. That's not who he's talking to. He's talking to his closest followers. These are the people who left everything they had to follow him. These are the ones who claim to love him the most. And in case the thought enters your mind that maybe Jesus was just having a bad day. You know, somebody just woke up on the wrong side of the bed and he's a little cranky that day. And you know how sometimes things come out when we're, not, we're in a bad mood. This isn't the first time Jesus talked like this. Just a few chapters earlier, in the same book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, just in the Sermon on the Mount, probably one of the greatest talks ever given of, of history. Jesus is talking. In the middle of that talk, he, has, he teaches, he says, when you're going to pray, pray like this. And we all know it now as the Lord's Prayer. Do you know what's in the middle of that? The words, and forgive us our debts as, as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us as we forgive others. As that word is a, tells us that there's a direct correlation between forgiving others and being forgiven. Jesus is so serious about this that just a few verses later, he had the P.S. Kind of, oh yeah, hey. And it says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. Pretty severe, isn't it? Pretty direct. There's not a lot of room for debate as to, well, what do you think Jesus meant? I mean, he's pretty direct and pretty simple there. Here's what Jesus is not saying, in case there's any question here. Jesus is not saying, hey, listen, God is withholding his forgiveness as motivation for you to be more forgiving. That's not what he's saying here. Like, all right, I'm going to kind of leverage this to make you forgive. I'll withhold my forgiveness. He's, what he's doing, he's talking about the fact that this is, again, he's talking about the nature of forgiveness and the human condition. And here, here's the thing. To be forgiven by God requires an acknowledgement that we've done wrong and sinned. There's, repentance is, in, is involved. So if I cling to bitterness and resentment towards other people, I'm, indicated, I'm indicating I'm, I'm, that I'm living in my life in a way that suggests that I don't want to repent for the state of my heart. I'm, I want to live with this, even though my heart is wrong about this. And because I want to live with this, it means that I don't want to be forgiven. So God's not manipulating us to forgive. He's pointing out to the fact that, listen, if you hold that in your heart, you're not allowing me to actually do what I want to do. So we say that we don't want to be forgiven by, based on our actions, and God will not force us to do so. It's not that God isn't able to forgive me. It's that my behavior is an indication of my lack of repentance. My lack of, 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 of repentance suggests that I, God will not be able to forgive me. Radical forgiveness requires us to forgive others, and there are no exceptions. So then what do we do? when we find ourselves hanging on to unforgiveness. 
few thoughts. My first thought is this. I think radical forgiveness begins with my decision, not their repentance. Because of the words of Jesus, we know in our hearts that we need to forgive. I mean, that's that's very clear. And because of even what science tells us, including the Mayo Clinic, we know in our minds that we should forgive. So then if we know in our hearts, we know in our minds, we know that we should forgive. Why is it so hard for us to forgive people sometimes? And the only thing I could come and I've you know, wrestled through this and different things, it really comes down to the fact it's because of this whirling tornado of emotions that are going on inside of us. That they're at the center of our pain. And honestly, even with our best intentions, forgiveness doesn't always come easily, does it? And it doesn't always come quickly. That's why I'm amazed. I'm amazed still. Just Jesus is on the cross. He's on the cross. And you remember his words? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. It's present tense. It's present tense. It's happening in the moment. And he's saying, God, forgive them. Like, holy smoke, who does that? How many times have I heard someone say, yeah, I'm not ready to forgive them yet? And I I get that. I understand that. But in the context of what Jesus was saying, and forgive them, they don't know what they are doing. But the reality is we're not Jesus, are we? Okay, so that's probably not a fair standard to, to put up there, but it is noteworthy that we want to be like Jesus, don't we? So we know that's the direction that we should be moving. And sometimes the hurt is so deep that we feel like we'll never, never come to a point where we can forgive them. And it's quite possible that we don't even want to. I'm not interested. Here's the thing. As Christ followers, we're not given the option to not forgive. We must choose to forgive the person who hurt us. So why is that choice so important? Why is it so important that we need to forgive? That's my second thought here, is that forgiveness is the beginning of my healing, not the resolution of the problem. Now, let me be clear here. Forgiveness is not tolerance. Forgiveness isn't saying that, hey, no big deal, just keep going. And it doesn't mean that I ignore the problem. Okay? What they did is not okay. And I'm also not suggesting that forgiveness means that the relationship is restored. When someone hurts us that deeply, trust has been broken. And trust can take a long time to be restored, if ever, depending upon the depth of that hurt and pain. Forgiveness, here's this, forgiveness means that I let go of the right to hurt the person back. I leave the consequences of their behavior up to God. I love the way we see this played out so clearly with David in the Old Testament when Saul's chasing him through the wilderness and David has an opportunity to kill Saul. And the one time he actually lets Saul know, listen, I could have taken you, I didn't. Please stop chasing me and trying to kill me. David has these words in 1 Samuel 24. He says, may the Lord judge between you and me. So let God decide who's right in this. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. That's forgiveness. I said, you know what? I'm angry. I'm hurt. 
but I'm going to let go of the need to get revenge. I'm going to let go of the need to justice. I'm going to leave that up to God. Forgiveness is the beginning of my healing. It's not the resolution of the problem. My last thought is this. Forgiveness creates an opportunity for God to continue transforming me into the image of his son. You know, it's really not psychologically possible for us to know and experience God's tender-hearted mercy for our own selves, that is mercy towards us, and then remain hard-hearted towards others. It's a schizophrenic way of living life. When we experience God's unconditional, radical mercy for us, we should have the same thing for others. Here's the thing I'm convinced of, that my true character is revealed not by the values I publicly profess to have, my values are revealed by precisely by what I do, my actions, how I live my life. And to be a disciple of Jesus is to do the things he did. Now, Paul makes this very clear in his letter to the Ephesians. <clears throat> he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You know, uh, <clears throat> The day after that meeting with our football team, I went into the coach's office to talk to him. And I was like, dude, I didn't say dude, but that's, it's like, a, it's like, I work really hard. I come to practice every day, and I'm always lifting weights, all the off season stuff. I mean, why would you say such a thing? <clears throat> and uh, so we're talking about, so I'm summarizing this conversation, but he said something like this. He said, Sam, you're too focused on doing things the right way. He says, sometimes in football, particularly, you just have to play with reckless abandon. He was right. And that was how I... And, and he said, the light for you just hasn't, just hasn't clicked on yet. And then once I thought about that, I realized that he was right. And unfortunately for me, the light didn't click on to my freshman year of college. I had to wait another couple of years for that to actually happen. But here's the thing. I chose to forgive... And I didn't hang on to the hurt. I didn't leave the team in a huff. I didn't. I, I was. I was still on conversation terms with my coach, and I still didn't like what he did. I, I, it doesn't excuse it. But I said, you know what? His day will come. God will judge between us if that was something he needs to deal with, and God will handle that. <clears throat> I didn't let that hurt and pain define me. Now, I can hear someone in here saying something like, you know what? No one likes to be embarrassed and humiliated in front of our football team or in front of other people. But come on, it's just football. I mean, really? <clears throat> you know, I can hear someone saying, you know, you tell us we need to forgive someone, but you don't understand the depth of hurt and pain that person caused me. You don't know how badly they hurt me. And the truth is, I probably don't. I may never know that. I may not ever understand that, but I can tell you this, God does. He knows intimately and passionately the depth and pain that you feel. And he will help you do this. Of that, I'm convinced. One of my uh, professors in a seminary, Lou Smeads, he actually have a quote there in your outline. <clears throat> At, uh, he said, forgiving is love's revolution against life's unfairness. When we forgive, we ignore the normal laws that strap us to the natural law of getting even, and by the alchemy of love, we release ourselves from our own painful past. 
To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. I love that. Again, forgiveness is not about me letting them go. It's about me letting God deal with them on his terms. That's so much better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am just incredibly grateful for this story, this passage. And Lord, sometimes we can hang on to unforgiveness, and we just learn to live with it. And we, we just, um, it just becomes part of us. And we don't even recognize it anymore. It just becomes sometimes um, part of our wardrobe, so to speak. But Father, we know that you have a better way for us, and that we don't need to carry that, that we could burst that balloon, literally. And so, Father, I pray that if there's any here this morning that are still carrying hurt and pain, that is sometimes just unbearable. And it still affects them. Maybe they go periods of time without thinking about it, but then something happens and that triggers it. And then, Lord, they're just kind of back in that cycle of of just hurt and pain and anguish. And I pray, Father, that here in this moment, in this very moment, the prayer would be, God, I choose to forgive them right here, right now. Take this hurt and pain away. Lord, you deal with them as you determine is best. I will trust you. Father, as they take that step, may that you, in response to their faith, as you respond, Lord, to their act of obedience, Lord, may you bring healing to their heart. In a place of hurt and hardness and bitterness, Lord, that there's a softening. We become soft, Lord God. Your spirit is able to work in us and speak to us. And Lord, that you would restore them completely and totally. So Father, again, I thank you. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for this time. You know, I'm just going to ask if everyone's heads, just keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm just going to ask if there's any here that says, you know, Sam, I'm... I still struggle that there's something happened in my past that I just have a hard time. Would you pray with me that I would be able to forgive this person? If that's you, would you just look up, maybe you know, raise a hand, just let me eye with you. That, thank you, thank you. All right, thank you. Spirit in this moment bring healing Lord bring healing I pray give them the courage and the strength to forgive in order to release themselves from that responsibility to get back Father heal I pray in Jesus name Holy Spirit I pray in Jesus name For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.